Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soups and Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and other experts in the food and beverage industry about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. As most of you know, we usually chat about what's hot in food and beverage, so ingredients or dishes or flavors that are gaining popularity or that consumers just can't seem to get enough of, no matter how much they consume even if they're indulgent products that should probably be enjoyed in moderation. But today we're going to talk about a food that is not as popular in the U.S. and which most Americans do not eat as much of as they should, even though it checks many on-trend boxes, including being high in protein, high in omega-3s, sustainable, natural, and even minimally processed. I'm talking about seafood. In America, seafood consumption is at an all-time low with people eating an average of only 14.6 pounds per year, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's most recent report, which came out in late 2015. This is down dramatically from a record high of 16.6 pounds per year per person in 2004. And even that's nowhere near the 26 to 39 pounds of seafood that FDA now recommends Americans eat annually. To find out more about why Americans aren't eating as much seafood as recommended and why they should, I am joined by David Melbourne, who is Senior Vice President of Consumer Marketing and Corporate Social Responsibility at Bumblebee Foods. Also with us are registered dietitians Willow Jaroche and Stephanie Clark. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks for having us. David, can you start us off by describing what you're seeing in terms of consumer consumption trends in the U.S.? over the past 10 to 15 years, sort of how much Americans are eating, what types, what formats, and what ones are they avoiding? Well, seafood, uh, general seafood consumption has declined, as you, as you noted in, in your opening. However, what we're seeing is a, uh, a, a, a movement across different types of species. Um, bottom line, uh, seafood is that probably one of the best uh, go-to sources of lean protein that consumers can choose today. And many consumers um, only view <coughs> majority of their seafood consumption when it gets into fresh and frozen. When you take a look at what we all grew up with, canned seafood, uh, specifically canned tuna and canned salmon, used to be a larger share of total seafood consumption in the United States. Over time, again, based on trends of convenience, portability, um, it's not really seen as convenient as it once was. You have to open a can. You have to mix it with various ingredients. And the bottom line there is that canned tuna, canned salmon, canned seafood products really are just as convenient as they always were. It's just how you incorporate them into a variety of different recipes uh, that are more contemporary and more relevant with today's tastes and, and flavor trends. The other component I would really like to highlight here is that the latest guidance from the 2015 Dietary Guidelines for Americans uh, specifically calls out that consumers really should be incorporating two to three servings of seafood each week. And importantly, most expectant moms in the U.S. eat less than half a serving of seafood per week. But the Perinatal Nutrition Working Group, and there are other groups that are also keenly in, engaged within this space, point out that the dietary guidelines uh, in conjunction with the American Congress of uh, OBGYNs and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics all are recommending that American consumers eat more seafood. 
Yeah, so I want to pull apart why Americans are eating so little seafood, given that it's so nutritious, so convenient, and on trend in so many ways. I think there are two primary reasons. First, first and foremost, it's, it's relevance. Um, we talk to consumers all the time, whether it be through research, whether it be through just our day-to-day engagement, um, as, we, as we, we work with them to feed them recipes and other types of, of uh, content relative to the benefits of seafood. It's just not top of mind. Um, again, many consumers are on the go. Uh, you take a look at, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, uh, a lot of out-of-home eating occasions, running from school to soccer practice to so many different activities. And seafood just is not one of the things that may be top of mind. When you actually sit down and talk to consumers, majority of consumers, they, they love seafood. They, they have lots of great things that they feed back to us about, you know, they understand that it's healthy. They understand that they should be eating more of it but it's just not one of those things that, that are top of mind. One of the other key elements is preparation. When you get into fresh and frozen seafood specifically, a lot of consumers don't know how to cook it. Uh, I think for many of us that are you know, a, a bit older, we grew up with seafood in our homes. Uh, our moms and our dads uh, prepared seafood on a regular basis. So it wasn't as difficult for, for us to take that into our children's lives. But for a lot of consumers that didn't grow up with seafood or when we started to see cons- uh, seafood consumption trending downwards, they just didn't feel comfortable buying that, that salmon filet or, or shrimp or uh, a frozen tuna steak and understanding how to actually cook it and not, not ruin it um, during their preparation. Yeah, I agree that those make a lot of sense in terms of maybe discouraging some consumers from eating seafood. Um, But another aspect that I find really interesting when looking at the data is that it really seemed to go down sharply in 2004, um, which was when FDA issued this guidance that Americans should eat up to 12 ounces of fish. That's lower in mercury per week. But the agency obviously didn't recommend a minimum amount to eat. Stephanie, maybe you can step in here and break down for us what that guidance said and how it impacted seafood consumption in the U.S. as well as the potential health implications for Americans. Absolutely, and you really you hit on a really important point about the 2004 guideline, not including a minimum. Um, and the other main point here is the fact that the 2004 guideline was really communicated as an advisory. Um, and a warning for pregnant and nursing women and young children to not be consuming too much seafood, and that's how it came across. Um, you know, so as you had mentioned, the, the FDA and EPA issued advisory on the consumption of seafood, and it recommended that women who are pregnant or may become pregnant um, and or nursing eat up to 12 ounces a week of a variety of fish and shellfish that are lower in mercury. And so the way it's phrased as up to came across to many people as a simple message of sort of be careful and don't eat too much seafood. Um, and we, you know, Willow and I as registered dietitians in private practice, we've heard this reiterated by the clients we see in our private practice a lot. So we, we come across many well-meaning pregnant women and or their family members or spouses telling them to, you know, avoid eating too much seafood altogether. And so there was this miscommunication that sort of happened as a result of this 2004 advisory. Um, 
And so since 2004, as you mentioned, the research has really shown that there's been a significant decline in fish consumption, um, resulting in American women only eating about half serving of seafood per week, which is far below the current recommendations of two to three servings per week or eight to 12 ounces. So, you know, this had health implications and, you know, one of which is that fish and shellfish are super important source of lean protein. They're low in saturated, it's low in saturated fat in general. It's also really rich in important vitamins and minerals, particularly those um, important for pregnant women and nursing moms. Fish contains B vitamins and iron, and it's also one of the only natural sources of a specific type of omega-3 fatty acid, which is essential for babies' brain and eye development and also really important for mom's heart health. So by decreasing seafood consumption, moms-to-be and nursing moms are missing out on these really important nutrients, uh, particularly omega-3 fatty acids, DHA. And so the FDA research showed that you know, children whose mothers don't consume enough seafood during pregnancy may not only be missing out on additional neurodevelopmental benefits, but could also be facing a neurodevelopmental risk in terms of their baby's not really reaching their full cognitive potential. So that's a public health concern for sure. Um, so as a result of this, the FDA and EPA has now issued new draft advice in 2014 that encourages moms and moms-to-be to eat more seafood. Great. Well, maybe you can chime in here mentioning the, the new guidance that came out. Can you walk us through what some of those highlights are and why seafood sort of contrary to popular belief is so important? Sure, yeah. Um, the major difference between the two, 2014 advice that's out now, the draft that's out now, and the 2004 advisory is just that, that one was called advice and one was called an advisory. So the advisory from 2004 had much more of a tone of, you know, be careful that you don't get too much as opposed to the draft advice now, which has more of a tone of get enough. Um, and even the wording in terms of how much, was, how much was recommended in the advisory, it was up to eight to 12 ounces per week. And in the current draft advice, it's, you know, eat, eat eight to 12 ounces per week. There wasn't that sort of limiting wording, um, which really makes a big impact on the actions that people take in their food choices based on the advisory versus the advice. Um, and, you know, the main points of the 2014 advice are to get that eight to 12 ounces per week as opposed to, you know, that up to limitation and to continue, as Seth had mentioned before, to avoid those biggest, those fish that are highest in mercury, um, and there's only four in there really uncommon, tilefish, king mackerel, shark, and swordfish. So, so really the, the main focus of this 2014 advice is to get enough to get that 8 to 12 ounces per week. Um, and so, you know, that is two to three servings of fish per week. And like Steph had mentioned before, seafood's so important for both the developmental health of the developing baby and a newborn baby cognitively, but it's also really important to women's health um, in terms of heart health. And it's also one of the only natural food sources of vitamin D, and many of us aren't getting enough vitamin D as it is. And like Steph had mentioned before, those omega-3 fatty acids that are rarely found in other foods except 
fish, those DHA fatty acids, um, are some of the most potent for mom's heart health and baby's neurological development. And, you know, studies are showing that when mom gets enough of those DHA fatty acids during pregnancy and during nursing, it can actually help ensure kids reach their IQ potential. And so one thing that Steph and I both point out often in our private practice to clients who are pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant is the importance of variety in seafood because you really want to get that nutrient sort of cocktail that you get from seafood and that DHA especially. And so one thing that we think is really important for people to know from a public health standpoint is that that two to three servings or around 12 ounces per week of seafood each week delivers enough DHA to meet both the mom's needs and the baby's needs during pregnancy. And that averages out to about 200 milligrams per day. So, so again, like if a woman is getting that 12 ounces per week, the two to three servings, she's meeting her needs and her growing baby's needs. Um, which is really, really great to know in terms of making a doable, attainable suggestion food-wise for people to achieve each week from their seafood spring. I think that's an interesting point, this idea of what's a doable amount and how to, how to prepare this fish, especially in light of, David, what you mentioned earlier about this sort of fear that consumers have they're going to ruin fish and it's pricey or um, somehow out of reach. Steve, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about maybe what Bumblebee is doing to address these concerns or, or make fish easier. Absolutely. And when we get into, again, when you're talking about fresh and frozen seafood, there is lots of trepidation. And, bec- and it really does come down to the fact that they don't want to spoil it. Uh, they just don't know how to prepare it. Uh, and we work very closely with third-party folks, chefs, registered dietitians like Willow and Stephanie that are on this uh, discussion, and working with them to really identify delicious, convenient recipes that really take the, the scary factor out of the whole equation in terms of how am I going to prepare this for myself or my family. The other thing uh, that obviously we focus on uh, as a as a seafood company is canned and pouch seafood, and there are a number of elements that that we're currently engaged with. We offer a wide variety of high quality and importantly affordable uh, seafood solutions, so that it's uh, quite frankly very easy to meet the FDA's current recommendations of eating two to three servings a week. Um, and we're also focused on innovation. For example. Uh, we recently launched a line of seasoned tuna products that are in a pouch and some ready-to-eat, uh, we call snack-on-the-run lunch kits that contain salads, uh, tuna salads, chicken salads, different flavor varieties with crackers. And the products are growing consumer demand for bold flavors, but also really address what I, I think I mentioned uh, when we first started talking, is this on-the-go, this portability, this convenience factor that consumers are looking for today. And we've also... Um, you know, spent a, quite a bit of our time really focused on education. It is, we are actively engaged in trying to disseminate the facts and the science around seafood and how healthy it is and what all those product benefits are. And quite frankly, working through uh, third-party uh, folks like Willow and Stephanie, registered dietitians, chefs, other types of stakeholders, 
really bring, I think, a very interesting perspective to this whole dialogue. Um, again, it's about eating delicious food. It is affordable. Uh, it is um, easy to prepare. And, you know, it's, it's, it's basically just very, some very simple steps that are required. And, and once consumers start engaging with this, I mean, our experience has been once you provide them with uh, an array of recipes, all of a sudden achieving this two to three servings a week, quite frankly, is very, very simple. Another major trend in the food space right now is this growing desire among consumers to know more about what they're putting in their body. And I'm not just talking about what's on the back of the label and the nutrition facts, but where it came from, how it was produced. David, can you tell us how Bumblebee is meeting this demand with its new traceability website? A big part of Bumblebee, really the, the foundation of our corporate culture, really comes down to uh, uh, sustainability and corporate social responsibility. We're very proud of a lead, the leadership role that we've taken within our industry. Uh, this has been many, many years of work. Quite frankly, uh, there were many years we didn't even talk about what we were doing in this space because we, we knew it was the right thing to do uh, for, for the world resources, but also um, it's what we really believe as a company. So over the last number of years, you know, we've seen this, this move, uh, as I mentioned earlier, where consumers are really starting to question what's in their food, where does their food come from, you know, this whole notion of farm-to-table, this whole notion of wanting uh, foods that, that um, don't contain lots of uh, different types of ingredients that you can't even pronounce, this whole very much on trend uh, movement today um, really had, had made us take a step back and say, you know, particularly within the seafood industry, when you take a look at at, uh, you know, Bumblebee is not just tuna. I mean, we're actually the largest branded seafood company in North America, and we're, we're really well known for our tuna, but we're also in salmon and we're in sardines and specialty seafood products, uh, which include canned shrimp, crab, oysters, clams. We really cover a wide variety. And I think when you get into seafood uh, specifically, there are questions about not just where it comes from, but also fisheries management. Are stocks being um, managed in the appropriate fashion to you know, sustain the long-term uh, resource for future generations? That is at the very heart and center of, of, of who we are as a company, and that is our mission and that is our objective, is to ensure the long-term sustainability of any of the stocks that we're dealing with. So the trace site, or uh, this whole trace program that we developed hit upon those two components. Number one, it talked about where is my fish coming from? Um, and it also really tied into the dialogue this, uh, you know, bringing in the facts and the science uh, that, that, that are required to have this discussion. There's so much misinformation, so much miscommunication. There are so many different agendas and, and, and things out in, the, in our world today. Uh, that, you know, and people have opinions and perspective, and what we are trying to do is really ground this discussion, in fact, in the science. So last fall we launched, uh, if, you, if you go to uh, tracemycatch.com or bumblebee.com backslash tracemycatch, consumers can now enter the product code from a can of tuna or a pouch of tuna, and they will learn a, a, a number of things. 
Um, first of all, the, when you put that code in, it will give you information on the species of fish in the can. So if it's a can of solid white albacore, the species will be albacore. But it gives you a lot of very easy to understand facts about albacore. It also will tell you the fishing method that was used to catch that fish um, in terms of, of gear type. Uh, was it long line? Was it persane? Was it pole in line? Um, and then it also explains what that process is and, and, the, and the details around that. It will tell you ocean of catch. It will tell you exactly which ocean that fish came out of. And it will also include the vessel names and the flags of the ships uh, or, the, or the boats that caught that fish, including their trip date, when they left port and when they came back into port. It will also tell you uh, the details of where it was processed. Um, and we have video footage that, that actually bring consumers inside to our, our, our factories uh, showing what the process is all about. Um, so that's, that's the example of Tuna. We just launched uh, about a month ago, and we haven't actually publicly announced it yet, uh, but we just updated the capabilities. So consumers can now go in and also trace uh, bumblebee canned uh, and, and pouch salmon products. Uh, sardine products and clam products. So we're really trying to take the mystery out of all of this. We're trying to help educate um, consumers and, and a whole variety of stakeholders, to be honest, um, about what's involved in traceability, um, how we view traceability, and um, you know, just giving them, again, very simple, very easy to understand uh, commentary that they can um, you know, wrap their head around and understand what their food is coming from. So you know, the key here is we're also able to trace products for food safety. We always have been. I mean, obviously, food safety is a critical component uh, for every company, obviously very important for Bumblebee. Um, and it also helps us verify that you know, the tuna entering our supply chain is legally harvested and meets all of our uh, ISSF sourcing commitments. Um, we are a founding member of the International Seafood Sustainability Foundation. Uh, it goes back uh, a number of years. And what's beautiful with ISSF, it's, a, it's an NGO, it's a separate organization, but it brought together a coalition of interested parties that include industry, uh, WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, so the NGO community, uh, as well as science. So the renowned uh, global scientists for tuna uh, are also involved in this process. And there are various commitments that we voluntarily make to, again, reinforce and ensure that the long-term sustainability of tuna stocks um, continues to progress and that we have resources for the future generations. And we've also made great inroads to ensure all of our products are safe, sustainable, and convenient for retailers and consumers. You know, developing this trace site is just one of the ways that we're committed to providing quality products with complete transparency, but we're also engaged in terms of our environmental impacts. Uh, we as an organization, um, again, we don't talk a lot about this publicly because we just feel it's the right thing to do. Over the last seven years, um, we, we have we dug in and we're really looking what we as an organization 
uh, do in terms of water consumption, utility usage, waste to landfill, and greenhouse gas emissions. And we've established five-year reduction goals. We've made a lot of progress over time. And you know what? It's a win-win. It's a win-win for resources. It's a win-win for the environment. And it's also a good business decision. It makes us better operators and, and more focused on these elements. And the last piece of this I think is really important to note is this whole area of social responsibility. Um, again, I feel that uh, Bumblebee really is a leader within this space. Um, you know, there's been lots of, of, of news and discussion about labor practices around the world, and this has been going on for years. We actually work with third-party auditors uh, that actually go down our supply chain. So they're working um, throughout our supply chain to ensure that international um, uh, labor practices and, and other social practices are being monitored and followed um, uh, by our suppliers. Uh, Bumblebee has a code of conduct that we require all of our suppliers to, to sign and live by, uh, and we go back and audit against that. So again, we're, we're really, really kind of hitting upon so many different areas here that I think are really important, not just for us as a company, but also to you know, the consumers at large today. Billy has demonstrated by all the work that you guys are doing with the traceability website, the sustainability aspect, and this education, um, and sort of combined with what FDA has done with this new guidance, it's clear that a lot is changing on the seafood front in the past 10 years. I'm wondering if you can look into your crystal ball, David, and tell me what you see coming in the next five or ten years. What we're starting to do now, and, and have actually over, over the last number of years, is really trying to tap this growth, particularly that we're seeing within the millennials, of flavor. I mean, flavor, you, you, you talk to lots of folks all the time, Elizabeth, and, and you know, flavor obviously is a huge uh, uh, growth area and a huge trend today. And what we're seeing is it's not just the, the common flavors. We're starting to really see consumers wanting to um, engage and enjoy and try some of these emerging flavors from different parts of the world, whether it be Middle Eastern or African or South American. And just, again, bold flavor um, is something that we're doing lots of exploration with today. Uh, and then again, on the you know, final point for us in terms of how we're looking at the next 10 years is the whole convenience factor. It's snacking, the snacking occasions. How can we, you know, as a responsible protein provider, you see so many snacks today that are just not good for you. How can we bring consumers into the, the, the realm of uh, better for you eating with high quality protein uh, that's handheld and, and can be eaten anywhere from the table, in the car, on the field going to a, a soccer practice or a baseball practice, um, quite frankly, wherever you may be. So that gets into um, uh, formulation and different types of recipes. It also gets into packaging. And we've, we spend quite a bit of time in our innovation efforts exploring uh, new types of packaging uh, that you know, will will not replace our existing portfolio today because you know there, there there's a huge need and a huge want and and actually a, a very large uh, uh, segment of the American population that loves canned tuna. They love their products, their canned products. But how do we complement that 
uh, to really address, again, some of these on-the-go needs that, that consumers are really, really requiring today. Well, it sounds like there's a lot to look forward to from Bumblebee and also the seafood space at large. Uh, I want to thank all of you for walking us through some of the challenges and the opportunities facing the seafood industry in the U.S. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in to this week's episode of Food Navigator Soup to Nuts podcast. Hope you'll join us again. Until then, I'm Elizabeth Crawford signing off. <laughs>